Hi everyone, thank you so much for being the loyal listeners of this podcast. My name is Thomas Noto Suaneto, the founder and host of this podcast. For you, the new listeners, this podcast is designed to bring to you candid and constructive discussion on many important international issues from politics, economy, law, security, feminism, and others. And usually it's it's conducted through interviews with uh, so many important and outstanding foreign policy stakeholders from academicians researchers ambassadors diplomats and even young foreign policy analysts or enthusiasts drop me a chat on my linkedin and be connected at thomas notosuaneto and also drop us a message if you have any ideas for the further episodes at foreign policy talks podcast on Instagram. So, enjoy the conversation. Hello, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, the listeners of Foreign Boss Talks podcast. Thank you so much. Uh, and uh, today with me, I'm going to talk a, a very interesting topic. Um uh, and uh, i'm proud to to be uh, having uh, adam god research associate at swedish defense university who's just written a very um, thoughtful piece uh, titled why south korea fell behind japan and southeast asia and today of course we're, we're going to talk about that right the reasons why south korea fell behind japan and the dynamic of uh, this uh, country's relationship with Southeast Asian states, uh, according to Adam's view. So Adam, how are you doing? Uh, I'm great. Uh, thank you for having me on. And thanks for the, the compliments of uh, the article. Um, how are you? Yes, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm doing fine. And uh, Adam, so, you know, after reading your piece, I have a lot of questions, follow-up questions, and I hope you don't mind if I ask you today. Yeah, no, it's, uh, I'm looking forward to uh, discuss it and uh, uh, engage with someone, a bit of uh, feedback as well. Right, right. So Adam, um, for the listeners who haven't read your piece, um, so your article, basically, you quoted in the beginning the, an ACS survey, uh, ACS in Think Tank in Singapore, by the way. Um, titled The State of Southeast Asia, which found that regional policymakers consider Japan as the most trusted security partner, while South Korea, among seven options listed, was the country least likely to be chosen as uh, the most preferred and trusted strategic partner for ASEAN. What's your reflection on this survey result, and why do you think Japan is more trusted than South Korea? Yeah, so it's interesting because because both South Korea and Japan have tried to engage more with Southeast Asian countries. And on the surface, at least, and that's what caught my interest uh, when I read the survey, on the surface, it seems like South Korea is, I mean, perfectly well aligned with Southeast Asian countries' uh, interests as stated in the survey. So uh, the central, uh, foreign policy goal of uh, ASEAN member states uh, among policymakers in the survey was that uh, ASEAN countries should try to navigate 
the great power competition between China and the US and maintain an independent course. And that is essentially what South Korea is doing, right? It, it's trying to avoid uh, getting too caught up in the competition uh, due to its uh, rather precarious spot on the Korean Peninsula in between them. Uh, but then, as you say, South Korea is regarded as an essentially untrustworthy partner on security issues. And Japan is regarded as the, the most trusted partner. And my argument is essentially that South Korea's and Southeast Asia's interests are paradoxically too well aligned um, as to the point where a security partnership with South Korea does not offer um, much in the terms of advancing Southeast Asian strategic interests uh, in the way security partnership with Japan can. This due to Japan trying to engage in a soft counterbalancing versus China, and that Japan can act as a sort of conduit for Southeast Asian countries who do not want to engage in too confrontational uh, policies vis-a-vis uh, -vis China. And this is something South Korea simply can't do due to it being in the same spot, more or less. Right, so with this, uh, with this limitation of uh, South Korea, as you mentioned earlier, but, but we also see that, you know, um, that South Korea has tried to expand its relationship with, uh, with the countries in the Southern Hemisphere, right? Um, so they have the new Southern policy. Yeah, uh, but yeah. you, yeah, but you wrote as well that the 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 expansion of its ambition in Southeast and South Asia it's very much limited, right? And it's it's for now just uh, covering uncontroversial issues such as counterparty. You say, so do you think South Korea needs to elevate more security based cooperation within this uh, new Southern policy? Yeah, you're you're perfectly right that uh, South Korea's. Uh, the security aspect of the New Zealand policy is very, very limited and is uh, confined to uh, uncontroversial issues. And I, I do think there is something to say for South Korea needing to engage more broadly in security cooperation. Um, that is not to say that it is uh, unwise to continue engaging in issues such as counterparty. And it's not just that, it's I mean, the, the New Zealand policy has entailed security cooperation in the uh, uh, non-traditional security spheres as well, such as you know uh, environmental issues or public health. So that those are not bad ideas, but the issue is that the the strategic interests of uh, Southeast Asian countries are better served, it seems, by the Japanese approach, which engages more, uh, more, um, more broadly or more, more, um, uh, yeah, more broadly in security issues. Right. 
Right. So, um, but let's say that um, South Korea will one day change its strategy in managing stronger security cooperation with the Southeast Asian states. Uh, which part of security and defense they should start from? Uh, do you think uh, in, in some sectors, for example, it will not overlap with what uh, Southeast Asian states have built already with Japan? Yeah, I mean, I, I do think uh, that an expansion of security cooperation between South Korea and Southeast Asia can look uh, towards what Japan has done. Because mm. Japan, I mean, it is... Um, counterbalancing but it is soft counterbalancing remember that japan uh, japan is not it is perhaps more confrontational than south korea but not it is not taking it too aggressive a stance either um so you can see that there is room for security cooperation even in the more controversial issues uh whilst not uh, being outright aggressive and it, i mean the obvious sphere of security and defense here is maritime security, where we can see that Japan has uh, improved the Coast Guard capabilities of several Southeast Asian countries. That is, uh, I think, the most obvious uh, uh, avenue for increased South, uh, South Korean security cooperation. Um, and it's, uh, of course, quite a natural expansion, considering it is already engaging in counter-piracy support. Right, uh, so Adam, and uh, in your sense, um, do you see South Korea has any significant limitation in strengthening the security partnership with the Southeast Asian states? Uh, is the long-lasting Korean Peninsula crisis is one of them, if any, or what else do you think? Yeah, so I think uh, you are perfectly right to point to uh, the uh, the conflict on the Korean Peninsula as the perhaps most significant limiting factor uh, for South Korea here, because it is what has uh, confined to a large extent South Korean foreign policy to um, to its immediate surroundings, and the fact that South Korea is so dependent on China in trying to reach some form of resolution to um, or managing at least uh, the Korean conflict, the, it, it is what, at, at the core, it is what is limiting South Korea's room for uh, expanding its um, cooperation with uh, Southeast Asia in the security sphere. Um, and then, of course, it's not only the Korean conflict that South Korea is dependent on China to some extent. It is. Uh, South Korea is uh, so deeply engaged with China in both the economic and social sense and the political sense that uh, yeah, it leaves uh, much smaller room for uh, taking any form of confrontational stance as compared to Japan. Right. So. Um... I mean, this limitation, of course, is quite concerning, right? I don't know whether the, the government in the Blue House thinks that this is, uh, this is one of their foreign uh, engagement weaknesses. But uh, anyway, you state that Japan is um, engaging with Southeast Asia right, in, in counterbalancing China, and you said it's more confrontational, right, compared to South Korea that is soft counterbalancing. Um, 
Have you seen any situation whereby a stronger partnership with Japan affects Southeast Asian states' relation with China? Have the partnership successfully counterbalanced China in your view? I mean, if I may give you what I've observed from Indonesia, at least our relationship with Japan is pretty much explaining how the government is trying to uh, to put out strategic diversification, right? And you're yeah. really right that like, okay, we can now depend on China, we have Japan, we have Turkey, we have Russia, we have other states in the, in the world that they're very close to us in terms of strategic and defense sector. So have you seen any situation where the, the relationship is very, uh, uh, is able to counterbalance China in any ways? Yeah, this is, a, this is the, the interesting question, right? Um, I mean, Japan, of course, has been able to um, support uh, Southeast Asian countries' ability to enforce maritime claims. That's perhaps the most, when you look at a specific example where we can see some form of uh, security and defense support that has had you know, practical effects, you can look at that. But uh, I don't think when looking more broadly that Japan alone uh, will successfully counterbalance uh, China through its uh, engagement with Southeast Asia. Because uh, we have to look at uh, relative uh, power here, right? You know, it's hard to ignore the, the difference in economic weight between China and Japan. I think instead, what we have to look at is, the, is that the greater success lies in giving greater room for maneuvering Southeast Asia. And that seems to be more well aligned with the, the uh, policy priorities of Southeast Asian policymakers, as we saw in the survey, right? It, uh, we saw that seeking out third parties was not, uh, wasn't really the, the, the greatest priority. The, the, the greatest priority was to avoid dependency on China and the US. So in some, what you want is a partner that gives you the room to maneuver outside of or without being too constrained by the competition between China and the US. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah. In the end, uh, it's uh, it's a bit of an open question whether uh, Japan actually has succeeded in counterbalancing China. But I do think it has served the interests of Southeast Asian policymakers at least. Right. Right. Very. Very interesting. So the basic thesis is that yes, um, South Asian states have uh, need to have room to maneuver, right, to counterbalance China, and Japan is now the best options. And South Korea, in your sense, needs to catch up Japan uh, yeah. and, and elevating its strategic and defense cooperation, uh, at least at least to strengthen uh, its trust, right, uh, among Southeast Asians. Um, right. Um, my last question, Adam. Uh, given to the new, I, I think it's going to be difficult to answer, but let me let me try to ask you this. So given to the new administration in Japan under uh, the leadership of Prime Minister Kishida and next year in Korea after the, new, after the presidential election, will there be any notable changes in your sense? Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> it's always uh, <laughs> difficult to try to uh, predict the future. Uh, it's also always a bit of uh, guesswork, but I, I do think that you can say at least that, uh, I mean, Kishida has kind of prone to continue the broad strokes of Japanese foreign policy as it was. Uh, and but I think the, pro 
the central uh, or the best way to answer this is that whilst there there are new elections it is unlikely that the central or the underlying reasons for the difference between Japan's and South Korea's policies towards South, Southeast Asia are are about to change you know it's in the absence of a resolution to the Korean conflict uh, South Korea's position is the same um, so I do think that you know only the future will tell but in the short term it uh, it seems like uh, Japan's and South Korea's uh, policies towards Southeast Asia are uh, are to continue as they are mm. and of course we cannot predict what happened what happened with the new southern policy right so whether it's yeah. going to be sprinkled what is going to be gone right or or reduce in 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 in, in power and in, in priorities so um right so again that Thank you so much for writing a very interesting piece. Uh, I talk about this piece with my friends uh, in Cambridge and some other um, colleagues in different universities in the UK. And hopefully uh, our friends in Indonesia and in Asia understand more about the, the dynamic relationship between Southeast Asian states with Japan and South Korea. And happy to talk to you and uh, please keep up the good work and share it to me next time. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you for reading my piece and uh, thanks for having me on. It was uh, great. Thank you, Adam. And stay safe in Sweden. Yeah, thank you. Stay safe in the UK. <laughs>